there we go then. I think we're into the podcast. Welcome. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so uh, can we start off with who you are and where you're from and uh, yeah, what do you do? Sure, yeah. So um, yeah, my name's Oliver. Um, I'm uh, from the UK, um, but I'm actually uh, living and working um, out here in Johannesburg in South Africa. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm an accountant. Um, we are, so I set up um, Nimble Accounting. This is uh, where, I'm called, where I'm speaking to you from. Um, I set up Nimble Accounting about three years ago, um, and we took sort of a little while to sort of found, find um, the type of client we, best, we, we worked best with. Um, and really gravitated towards the creative industry. So, so yeah, you know, the, the majority of our clients come from the creative industry, lots of designers um, of various kinds, graphic designers, web designers, um, architects, um, lots of people in the creative industry as, yeah, as, as a whole. Do you, what's that like in Johannesburg? I've, I didn't realise you were over there. That's pretty cool. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, it's, it's, it's very different from London. Um, yeah. it's got, it's, uh, it's got its pros and cons. Um, I mean, the weather's nice, obviously much better than, than, than the UK. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very different, um, very different culture, very different, um, way of working I find. So most of my career was in, was in London. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's a very, it's quite a different feel to the city. Uh, but yeah, I like it. So what, it's a good what, place. What was the uh, choice? Why, why did you, why did you go over there? Uh, well, actually, prior to this, I was, I was based in um, in Nairobi, in Kenya. Um, so my wife and I met in in London, um, and then we moved over to Kenya for something a bit different, and we ended up staying for yeah, close to five years there. Um, she's actually from South Africa, so at that point, then we we already had a, a two year old boy. Um, so we thought we'd go to where some of our some of his grandparents were. So that was either South Africa or back to the UK. So we decided on South Africa. Um, and it coincided with this idea for me setting up um, Nimble Accounting, coincided with that. So, um, yeah, and, it, and it, you know, the, the whole business model works in part because of where we are. So, um, so yeah, that, that coincided with the fact that we thought, you know, from a personal point of view, we wanted to be closer to grandparents or closer to my son's grandparents. Um, yeah, that was the decision, really. Nice. That's that's cool. I, I've never heard someone like. Well, I've never really spoken to anyone go over to uh, to Kenya and uh, and then move down to South Africa. I mean, that was. I know. I know. It's more of a. It's not really. It's turning into a travel podcast now. But um, <laughs> that's fine. It's it's more interesting in accounting. So yeah, let's talk about travel. <laughs> I'm just I'm just really interested in in yeah different people's different perspectives from where people live and stuff. Like Kenya, that's 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 a cool like. It's an interesting place to go to, and, yeah. and live. Yeah, it really is. I, I, I really, um, I, I liked living in Kenya a lot. Um, we were, so yeah, I mean, I guess what, what took us there, I, I've, I've, so after, so I qualified with Deloitte in London and after qualifying with Deloitte, I wanted to move away from the sort of um, corporate side of things. And I, and I started working with, with um, lots of diff, uh, different NGOs um, and all sort of international development or humanitarian NGOs. And so obviously there, um, well, uh, a lot of them are based um, in various countries in Africa. So, yeah, that's kind of where I started um, traveling to Africa. So I first went to live in, in DRC um, in Congo. Um, so I lived there for about a year. And then after that, yeah, worked for NGOs back in London, but still traveling out to various places in, in Africa um, and spent a lot of time in East Africa, including Kenya. And, um, yeah, then a, a job came up that was um, you know, full time there, and me and my wife wanted to travel and, and uh, travel and work at the same time. So yeah, we we headed out there. 
Nice. And one last question on this, because my granddad worked in uh, in Zimbabwe for, uh, for BT, uh, BP for, for a long, long okay. time. Like his like, cool stories of sort of animals like, roaming around. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Kenya, is it, is it the same? Like, you just have sort of lions and stuff roaming around. <laughs> it is. So... Um, <laughs> So there's there's Nairobi National Park, which is just amazing because it's it's I think it's the only national park that's like so close to the city. So it's right on the edge of the uh, the southern part of Nairobi, and and it's fenced at the top of the park at the northern part where it meets the city. The rest of it is completely open. So yeah, mm-hmm. in the Nairobi National Park, there's no there's no elephant, but there are rhino, there are leopards, there are lion, um, and so yeah, you do get the occasional story of you know a lion trying to cross the road or a leopard um, jumping into a garden and you know taking someone's chickens or something like that. So yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it is a bit like that. Probably yeah. less so than in your in your granddad's day, but yeah, yeah it's still like that. <laughs> I think he's probably making some of it up, but it's, it's a good story, right? It's a good story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or the lion cross the road. Yeah, that's a, that's a <laughs> funny fun. Um, but yeah, uh, skilling on to sort of counseling stuff. Um, yeah, how long ago did you say you set up uh, Nimble? So we're coming up to three years um, that we've been up and running. Um, so yeah, it started um, with just just me and and the idea. Um, moved over to South Africa had no clients in fact I think I had one friend who was a client um so yeah and then from there we've we've grown quite quickly so we've now got um about two just under 200 clients um there's uh 15 of us in the office here now um so yeah it's been quite a sort of fast fast growth over those almost three years um so yeah quite quite an exciting time it's been um it's been the first time I've I've set up a company as well so it's, it's quite a I mean, I guess for for all of your listeners, like they they've all set up businesses in some kind of way. I've I've never, yeah, I've never done that until until three years ago. Um, so yeah, it's been quite a, an interesting, exciting uh, time. Yeah, well, the listeners uh, probably some of the students, some there's all a bit of different um, sort of different group of people. It's sort of eighteen to thirty four, I think the demographic is. So some of them okay. will set up businesses, some of them will be in jobs, some of them will be students. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that's I mean. It's, yeah, people would definitely be thinking about setting up businesses at this time. Um, mm. I guess it uh, also differs South Africa and England, probably uh, is quite a big difference in setting up a business as well. Um, mm. Is there, is, yeah, is there, is there much challenges to set up a business in South Africa? Um, not, not really. I mean, we, so uh, I guess the, 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 like the nitty gritty of how we're how we're set up we do so we have a uk company um, and that's who all our clients contract to so effectively what we have is we have the south african company as well and effectively what's happening is that the uk company and company are outsourcing to the south african company but we don't see ourselves as a outsourced accountant because you know that mm-hmm. our, our whole operation here we only work with nimble accounting uk it's just we're set up as a separate legal entity so that we can pay payroll etc so no um no, I mean it's pretty similar. We, funny enough, though, we, I, you know, I, I know nothing about the UK. Uh, sorry, the South African side of things. So we have a, a South African accountant here, despite being an accounting firm myself, because um, obviously we, well, we only focus on the UK side of things. We only have UK clients. Okay, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's probably easier for you as well, understanding it and everything. Um, yeah, absolutely. yeah. So, so I mean, personal finance for for young designers, uh, young creatives. Have you have you found any particular things that people have come to you and found problems with, or um, had issues with, and, and you helped them out with? Mm. Yeah, I mean, a whole a whole range of things. Um, so we've got, um, I, I guess the probably the, the the main thing is that decision of of 
how to how to structure themselves so whether to be there and the main decision there is normally sole trader versus limited company um and that's that's yeah that's normally the starting point for most people it should be the starting point for most people because if you get that right from the start you're you're, you're probably in a decent position um I guess the difficulty is that it can change over time. So often I'd be saying, yeah, sole trader is the best, um, the best setup up to a certain point. Um, so when you're just getting started or when you're maybe doing, maybe when you're, when you're in a full-time job and you're doing some design on the side or, or still as a student and doing some design on the side, setting up as a sole trader would tend to make more sense because you know, your profits are probably going to be relatively low. But as that grows and as it becomes more of a full-time thing for you and as your, perhaps your day rates or your project uh, rates go up, um, moving towards a limited company at, at one point, that switch will make sense. Um, so, yeah, that, that helping people with that decision. Um, and then there's all sorts of... Um, there's the ongoing advice that we provide about um, you know how to make it more tax efficient, make sure make sure that they're paying the right tax, but not too much tax. Obviously, that's the key. Mm. Um, nobody wants to kind of push the boundaries too much and uh, land themselves in trouble with HMRC. But nobody also wants to pay tax for the sake of paying tax. Um, so yeah, it's kind of uh, helping them with various sort of ongoing bits of advice on that. Um, and then lots about VAT registration for especially for for clients making a bit more money. Um, or even those that are not deciding whether to register for VAT is it is often quite complex. It, I, I would say especially for for designers um, because of the types of clients they serve. Mm. Oh, that's a lot to break down. So uh, let's yeah, go into yeah. the first the limited company stuff first. So um, sure. Yeah, I mean I, I'm I'm a sole trader. I set up a sole trader straight away, um, sort of three years ago now. And like I said, I've been doing it on the side here and here and there. Um, and like you said it's good to do that. Good to start by going sole trader what was the sort yeah. of point where you go okay now it's probably limited company time and what does that mean as well what is limited company sure yeah okay so um okay yes yeah. so there's a, a, a couple of things to talk about um in that comparison so the sole trader then um you're operating as a business but not as a company so um there's no distinction then between you as the individual as a person and the sole trader as a business there's no legal separation um, a limited company then you, you create a, a separate legal entity that is different from yourself and how that normally works in practice you know if you were to move from, a, from, from being a sole trader to a limited company probably you would be the sole shareholder of that company so you would be the, the 100% owner of the company you can of course give shares to you know somebody you're working with maybe to a spouse something like that you can give give shares to that the, those people um, and then you're more than likely also going to be the director. So most of the companies that we, that we, um, we help um, are both, they, they're, they're, they're a limited company and then they have a 100% shareholder who is also the sole director of the company. So director of the company, that means you're, you're the management of the company and shareholder means you're the owner of the company. And both of those two things um, give you different ways of, of, of taking money from the company. So... As a director, you would receive a salary and, and the way that we work, and I can go through this in a bit more detail later, but um, the way that we, we advise directors is, is to set up a, a salary that's the most tax efficient. So it's not based on, well, I think, I should, I think I'm worth £25,000 a year in a salary, therefore that's what my company is going to pay me. That doesn't make sense because really what we've got to be looking at is, although the limited company and the individual is, is 
two separate legal entities really what what people care about at the end of the day is how much money they have in their back pocket after both the company pays its tax and you pay your tax so um so really we're looking at the sort of holistic view of how to make the company and the individual um be as uh, as tax efficient as possible right right so Going back to then the distinction between the two setups. So the sole trader then, um, as I mentioned, that's there's no separate legal entity. So the two big differences um, are one is the, the legal aspect and the other one is the financial aspect or the tax aspect. So when making that decision of, of how to set up, should I be a limited company or should I be a sole trader? Um, first, if we look at the legal aspect, because... And this comes down to that, that, that point about um, there not being a separate legal entity um, under a sole trader. Now, this means, and I'm going to paint a real sort of worst case scenario here, which is probably not that common with, with designers. But let's just take a scenario where maybe you're working um, from, a, from a cafe or you're working from a co-working space or something like that. And someone trips over a laptop cable. Now, hopefully, most businesses um, would take out some kind of insurance that cover them for those sorts of problems. If someone trips up and sues you, ho- hopefully the insurance will cover it. Let's paint a really negative picture of the insurance company refusing to do that for whatever reason. So as a sole trader, if, they, if that individual sues the business, there's no separate, separate legal entity. Therefore, really, what they're, who they're suing is you. So you're at risk. If they sue you for a million pounds, that's your um personal debt that, that that you have to pay that you owe them so obviously for most people that would uh, that would lead to bankruptcy um, because you wouldn't be able to afford that full amount so you go into bankruptcy and that really impacts your credit um history for i think it's something like seven years it's really a quite a significant amount of time which which means you know you'd lose all your personal assets mm-hmm. plus you go into bankruptcy so pretty drastic pretty unlikely but pretty drastic if it was to happen um if we then compare that from the legal side of things to um, a limited company, it's a bit different. So as, as, a legal, uh, as a limited company, because there's a distinction between the business, which is in the company, and you, if they sue the business because you're operating as an employee of that business, they trip over the laptop cable, they sue the business, the worst case scenario is that they sue you for a million pounds again, or they sue the business, sorry, for a million pounds, the company's assets would be liquidated, which means if the company has a laptop and it has £5,000 in the bank account, then those assets are liquidated and paid off to the, to the person that sued you. And then the company goes into liquidation, i.e. it closes. And that's really it. That's all that happens. The debt then doesn't get passed back to the shareholder or the director of, of you. Know, you. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, the debt's, you know, the, the debt's fully, effectively fully paid off and there's, there's no further repercussions for you as the individual. So, so obviously that's a nice that's a safer position yeah absolutely yeah so so from from a young person's point of view is there any point of uh setting up as a limited company straight away or is is that a beneficial thing to do because he said like as you said yeah it's you know you're not it's not really reliable on, on you as a person if, if something does happen yeah so um the the problem there comes into the the the, the second aspect which is the tax side of things and from a so if yeah. And here's where it really depends on the level of profits that the, the business is making. So once we get to um, profits of somewhere above £25,000 per year um, that, the, that the business is making, that's before the, you as the individual are taking any money out of the business. But once you get to somewhere around 25000 that's where it starts to make more sense to become a limited company versus a sole trader from a purely financial point of view. 
Um, from a legal point of view, obviously, it, may, it probably makes sense from day one if you consider that risk of being sued to be, you know, kind of present. Mm. Um, so, but from a financial point of view, um, yeah, it starts to make sense more from £25,000 of profit onwards. The downsides of being a limited company, there are, there are downsides. And the main one really is that it's, it's a bit more hassle to run a limited company. Now, what really that most what that normally translates into is higher accounting fees because normally you would pay your, uh, an accountant to kind of deal with that hassle for you and make sure that you're compliant um, and, and and still tax efficient. So the that saving that you're making from being a limited company it does actually come about at much lower levels than twenty five thousand, but the saving. You know, you've got to take away from the saving the additional costs and accounting fees that you're probably going to be paying if you get an accountant. And generally, I know obviously I'm speaking from a fairly um, biased point of view, but I would say most, uh, I would say limited companies should have an accountant because running a limited company is not that straightforward if you're if you're not very used to it. And I, yeah, I recommend getting an accountant as well if you're just a sole trader and just a normal designer because I, I'm definitely doing it for next year. I'll probably come to you to be honest because it's right. Okay, it's, yeah. It, yeah, this it's been a hassle. It's been a, bit of a hassle. <laughs> and, and yeah, I think it people. is. I think I think people can. Yeah, exactly. It's, I think I think that's why uh, what we found is that working with um, the creative industry is is one of the reasons we're that we work well with them is because they you know we we can explain things in a way that makes sense to, to, to creative people who generally are not so interested or yeah, willing to learn about the, the, the accounting and the tax side of things. It's just not part of what interests them. Fair mm. enough as well. It doesn't interest that many people. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, yeah, that, that's kind of why we found that niche with the creative industry, I think. Yeah. I mean, if, if all my friends and all the people I've spoken to on the podcast have, who have accountants are creatives and if they're saying, they think thinking the same, there's, there's so much, so much benefit to having one you know, save you money here and there tips and tricks that you don't know about and just it's just good management of money i guess as well to, to know that you you know you're confident in what, what you're doing with it all um, yeah. So yeah yeah absolutely i think you can you know you can spend hours trying to google something and trying to figure out something for yourself mm. but if you haven't got the fundamental understanding of of you know a sole trader versus a limited company etc then you can be Googling really the wrong thing. And we get clients come to us, you know, time after time saying, oh, I, I understand I can, you know, do this, uh, this particular thing to save money in tax. And we have to explain it actually that's completely irrelevant for, for you because you know, either you're, it, that's only for sole traders or that's only for limited companies or, or something else that they kind of overlooked with their Googling. So, you know, that could be wasting many hours of your time that are probably much better spent designing rather than yeah. Googling about a tax and accounting. Yeah, well, one one problem we always have is it's chasing up uh, clients for payments. <laughs> it seems to be a big thing uh, that designers right, go through. Yeah. Uh, is there any is there any sort of legal way of doing that? Um, sort of enforcing it, <laughs> like uh, or setting? I don't know. Because yeah, it, it always seems to be yeah, we'll pay it, we'll pay it, and then they don't, and then they still don't, and then you have to chase them up. And is there any sort of um, sort of mm. harder way of getting the money <laughs> so it's it's difficult isn't it because you've got to at the same time manage the client relationship yeah um so yes there are ways um now i don't actually know off the top of my head but i know there are um set interest rates that you can start charging after a certain period of time um after uh, an invoice becomes overdue it's just no one really applies those in practice because they feel you know because no one else does they find it difficult to apply those those interest rates 
to you know the, your, your client mm. um so yeah i think it is very difficult i what our advice is normally in in situations um such as that is is really making it clear to the the um client from the start that you do need the money to come you know when it's supposed to come um and also really just appealing to their sort of human side by saying look we're, we're not a big business because you know a lot of our a lot of our designer clients um are working with big marketing and advertising agencies who have you know huge finance departments that are so separated from the operations and the people that the designers actually deal with mm. um but I, what we find is that appealing to people's human side and, and, and getting the, the people that you do actually work with within those big agencies to say, look, this guy, you know, Mark is, is, is a, he's a sole trader. Um, he works for himself. He can't afford not to be paid for an extra 15 days. That's a big deal to him. Um, we, we really find that helps because most people can, mm. can, can relate to that. And they probably just didn't realize they'd kind of thought of um, Mark as some bigger entity that can, you know, whether we pay them 15 days late or not, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and that's that's a good point. With thinking people thinking that you're bigger than you are is don't put we on your website when you're only one person. <laughs> <laughs> but I think everyone does that. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. I've certainly been we since uh, since day one when it was just uh, just me. That's uh, that, that could that get you into trouble financially, like legally, like if you start putting we on your website and you're only meant to be a sole trader. No, I, I, no. I can't see how that can ever get you into trouble. No, no, no. Because I mean, a sole trader can also a sole trader can employ people. Right. Um, it's just really that how the business um, pays tax on its on its profits. That's that's the big distinction and the legal um, setup. Uh, but no, uh, it can really be where you can you can be a sole trader with with forty employees, but it's probably not the best idea to be. Right, right. Um, have you got any um, money um, saving advice or? Uh, or any tips for, for you? it doesn't have to be young people it could be because we're, we're listened to by loads of people but um for yeah especially designers or, or any ways that you've seen um people do well at saving money because it's you know in 20th january people are just coming back from christmas um going into the new year thinking about money all the time i know i am yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah any saving advice any tips on um yeah having having a strong bank account and savings yeah well i think um yeah, I think if we start with a, a sort of basic one, which is really just making sure that when you're receiving money in from clients, you're taking a portion of that and putting it into a separate bank account because you know that at some point you're going to have to pay tax. And obviously, for someone that's employed and, and paying tax through the PAYE system, that happens without them even noticing or without them even having to do anything. They, mm. they get that tax taken away from them before they see the money in the first place being self-employed or a limited company that doesn't happen and 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 you it's so common then that you get to the end of the tax year or the end of your accounting period if you're a limited company and think oh wow yeah i really don't have the four or ten thousand or whatever it is you have to pay in tax um, and that can really hurt so you're in this constant cycle of um, not having enough money then trying to find that money over a few months having the relief of that and then you know coming to the next tax year where you have to pay your next bill so what we what we generally recommend is having a separate bank account. So as a as a limited company, probably that would mean two. So you'd have a separate company, a separate bank account in the limited company, and then a separate bank account for you personally. Um, you'd have those two, um, and and every amount that you transfer out of the company, you would save a certain percentage of that, um, and then every every amount that you receive into the company, you save a certain percentage of that. As a sole trader, a very similar approach. So every every amount that you receive from your from your client, you can 
and it do, does depend on how much you're going to be earning. But you know, you can be relatively prudent, put twenty percent away um, in some other bank account. If you start hitting your high rate taxpayers, it, it would start having you'd have, start having to put up more, uh, put in more than twenty percent. Um, but for most designers, I would have thought twenty percent is a pretty prudent um, percentage to kind of save away um, mm. with every yeah with every payment from a from a client. So I, I was hearing um, watching YouTube videos about personal finance, and they were saying uh, about having a tax account, uh, sort of breaking it down, having a few different um, uh, savings accounts or debit accounts, and putting sort of certain percentage into a, one for tax, one for um, just a, a general savings in case you know your car breaks down or something like that. Or yeah, and then, then there's sort of the the personal one, which you know you can spend money on, buy food and groceries and you know all sorts. Um, sure, yeah, yeah. So. Is that something you, you you advise sort of breaking it down even even further like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, uh, yeah, I guess the more the more you can break it down like that, the better you've better view you've got of of how your finances are. And then when your when your car breaks down or needs replacing, um, yeah, it doesn't hit you as hard as it as it might do otherwise. Um, so yeah, definitely, I think that, that, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, I think when it comes to sort of saving i guess the other thing to discuss is 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 around pensions um which is a tricky topic um especially for sort of younger designers where you know the temptation is to worry about pensions later on um but from a tax point of view paying into a pension scheme is is one of the most one of the best ways of of, of saving money in tax um so yeah if you think about it from the sort of government's point of view they really want to encourage people to save a lot um you know as as, as, as much as possible in pensions so they really just make it really attractive so for a, any money that you're putting into a pension scheme that's reducing your, the amount of tax that you're that you're paying really quite significant significantly so um yeah definitely something worth thinking about um and thinking about it early on as well because then you've got the the compound interest rate over you know many many years um for your for your pensions to to increase in value um, by the time you retire so what's a sort of i don't know general figure you should put into your pension account roughly each month so so that's to be honest but this is something that if if a client asked us that we'd have to say we'd, we'd be duty bound to say actually we can't we can't advise on access the as um the role of an independent financial advisor because it all depends really on um where you, you know, how old you are, i.e., where where you are relative to your retirement age, um, whether you're putting your pension fund into more risky and potentially high growth um, pension funds, or or much more lower risk and therefore probably lower growth pension funds. So it's it's it's, it's much more of a, a calculation that an independent financial advisor should be should be given. Um, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, it's a difficult one for me to answer, I guess. I mean, for, for the listeners, I'd. I'd... Um, personally, I put a certainly very small amount into my pension account, but at least it's there. And that's like that's what my grandparents said. At least it's there. You know, you've got something that's going in there, um, even if it is just forty pound a month or, or like something yeah. small like that. Um, at least it's at least it's happening, and you can always put more into it later on. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely, and it, I mean it creates a good habit as well. Um, but yeah, I think doing it doing it early on as well, even if it's a smaller amount early on, you know, it can be ramped up as you sort of progress through your through your through your career and through your life um, as you get closer to retirement age. But yeah, starting starting early is is definitely uh, best because you've got then 
that compound interest rate over you know many decades rather than you know 15 years um, at the end when you're starting to um frantically trying to save enough to for, for retirement yeah 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 uh, is there any um personal finance things that people should think about uh, anything that springs to mind when uh, when you're chatting with a client so um so one of the big ways that um certainly for sole traders and a little bit less so for limited companies um that, that people can make it make their setup quite tax efficient is by claiming um, the cost of working from home. So most designers, as, as you know, um, generally work from home. Um, and as a sole trader, you do it is relatively generous in what you can put through the company as uh, working from home costs. Um, so definitely make the most of all of those. Um, looking at you know the rent that you're paying or the mortgage um, uh, interest that you pay. Um, all of your council tax, you know, water, electricity, etc. All of the costs that you incur from working from home, um, you can get deductions for those as a sole trader. As a limited company, unfortunately, it's, it's a bit less generous, um, but there's still sort of allowances that HMRC um, give to reduce your profits and therefore reduce your tax. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's one of the main ones. Um, Is I there- think generally. Sorry, Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, is, is there, as long as, as well as the uh, the um, uh, what's it called, <laughs> the rent and and the and the, the water and the and the and the electricity. Do you, can you put stuff in, you know, like computers and electricity and, and um, things you're using to do your job. You know, things you're buying, yeah. like, even if it's just stationary stuff like stamps to post something or uh, mm. something like that. Can you put those that sort of stuff in there or? or? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's really it's really essential to make sure that everything that you're spending money on to to do your job, which you know for designers is, as you say, you know certainly um, a laptop, maybe some other equipment. Um, I'm sure you know software um, subscriptions mm-hmm. as well. That's um, one, yeah. Travel normally, like travel to, to to see your clients from time to time. All of those costs are costs that relate to you functioning as a business they're absolutely necessary necessarily incurred um for you to you know to to function as a business so those costs should absolutely go through your 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 business either either your sole trader or your limited company um because then you're reducing the profits and you're you as you reduce the profits you're reducing the tax you pay because obviously you pay tax as a percentage of your profits Mm. so yeah definitely um need to capture all of those now what i would suggest for that is that um either as a limited company or as a, as a sole trader, one of the very first things that people should do is set up a business bank account. Now, it's slightly different types of account for a limited company versus a sole trader, um, but for both, um, it's really important to have them. Um, and being quite um, disciplined with that, i.e. not deciding you're going to buy some, you know, spend some, um, well, buy yourself a pint of beer at the pub um, on your business uh, card because you can't find your personal card at that point. Really try not to do that. So it's very clear that what goes in the business account is business income. What goes out of the business account is business expenditure. Because then that, that in that way, we find you're much less likely to forget, oh, actually, I just bought myself a coffee when I went to see that client. And obviously, a coffee is not a huge, huge expense. But if you're capturing all of those through a business account, it's never going to be forgotten. And you add mm-hmm. those up towards the end of the year, it's really going to you know, be a relatively significant cost. It's going to reduce your tax. So it's really, really a good idea to kind of make sure that you've got that separate account and make sure that you're a separate bank account, make sure that you're quite disciplined in, in where you're spending money from. 
That's a really good point, actually, because that's, that's helped me out this year. Um, just gone. It's, it's it's a lot easier just to do the spreadsheet on as well, because if you've got, if you've got certain yeah. on Amazon or, or like, like you say, uh, buying a coffee or something down the shops, then you just, it's just like, oh, was that, was that client stuff or is it not? And it just makes it so yeah. much easier if you've got everything set straight um, just in one account. So it's a really good point. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we all kind of spend, spend money on Amazon and think, oh, I'm pretty sure I'll remember what that is in six months' time. Yeah six days time you've probably forgotten already so yeah i think it's, there's no way of remembering those things and then then it becomes you know that's when it starts be, becoming a real hassle because then you need to go through your amazon account and figure out what was it that i spent on that particular day and it starts to become a real real chore rather than you know if it's all in that one business bank account as you say you can export it all and there are your costs and, and revenues for the full year mm. so yeah it just makes it so much easier you know, to do that should you uh, encourage your clients to uh, look through their accounts and, and make a make a paper note uh, trail of it all, or or like do a spreadsheet of it themselves, like regularly? So, um, so any business is is obliged to um, to be able to support the expenses. So, what that means in practice really is having an invoice or a receipt um, to show to HMRC should they come asking for for proof that that that's a particular business expense. So do retain the, the receipts um, and the invoices. What I would say is, you know, HMRC have up to, I think it's seven years to come and inspect records for most things. It doesn't depend on, on what they're expecting for. Um, but, and what you'll find is that most of the sort of shop printed receipts, if you look at those a year after you receive them, they'll be completely blank because the ink just disappears. So what, what we use is um, some software called Receipt Bank, um, which allows our clients to just take a picture of their of their receipt or their invoice um, when they receive it. So if they've received a paper one, they take a picture on their smartphone. It takes that image. And at that point, they can throw the receipt away because there's a, there's a digital image of it. So that's all that's needed. Um, and if they receive, you know, for example, a software subscription, they're going to receive the invoice um, by email. When that comes through to their email, they can just forward it on to a receipt bank email address that we'd set up for them. Um, and again, it's captured. So, you know, all of the receipts and invoices are captured. We're checking that compared to their business bank account. So then when we're seeing that there's this, 34 pounds come out of the business bank account and we don't see an invoice supporting that we would then be following up and saying mark we we've seen it the amount go out your bank but we don't see the invoice can you track that down and send that through to receipt bank so yeah so it's just a way of just making sure that everything's in place at that time because you know a year or two or three later there's there's almost zero chance you've been able to track down those those receipts and invoices um yeah i think having having a you know just a a gmail account with all of the invoices coming through in one particular place makes it so much easier to find these you know nowadays that you can you know search through your your inbox even four years later it's pretty easy to find a particular invoice um but it's the physical invoices that that normally cause the problem because yeah they the ink disappears or you Mm. know the actual receipt disappears um yeah I like the idea call. of having like a folder for for that sort of stuff and um, just a computer. Just but then again, you could you know maybe get deleted or something, or your computer could crash. So emails is probably a lot safer. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think I mean Receipt Bank. Then when when the image is captured, so we also use um, 
well, we, we only use one accounting system for all our clients. So we use QuickBooks Online mm. um, and Receipt Bank then integrates into QuickBooks Online. So there's an API between the two. Um, so when um, Receipt Bank, uh, when we look at the images of the receipts in Receipt Bank, we sort of approve them and they get passed over to QuickBooks Online. So the images are actually captured in both. But even if they're just captured in one, you know, they're obviously backed up and um, always ways are recoverable um so yeah it's great so it does mean that you know in in years to come we can easily track down the expenses um that, that, that our clients incurred is, is there any other apps uh, are there any other apps on, on your phone or um or even computer that, that can help with personal finance or, or be of, of aid to that sort of stuff yeah yeah i mean i think they come in in two different categories really there's the accounting software which is quickbooks online zero so quickbooks online have have the um functionality of a liberty company but also a, a sole trader um then there's zero which is a, another um cloud-based one um yeah it's also very good um there's ones that are specifically for um freelancers so free agent is a is, is a very common one um that works very well for sole traders um, and then the other the other side of the other side of it is the receipt bank type software, um, and there's yeah there's a few of those. So they're all um, called OCR software, so optical character recognition. So they take the work out of um, inputting the data really. So they make right. our lives you know as a uh, as a bookkeeping and accounting firm much easier. So when you send that image over, um, it's the, um, the the software that then reads the date, the amount, the uh, the VAT amount, etc. Um, and captures all of that and then processes it pro- we then process it into QuickBooks. So it saves us sort of doing the manual data entry. And if you're doing if you're using it yourself, it would save you that time as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. I have got um that's a bit unrelated, I've got a, a, an app on my phone which reads sort of barcodes on, on the back of food packaging. So my fitness pal it's and it, it's, it tracks okay. all the food and the uh, the calories and stuff and it just breaks it down. It's so simple. Right, I guess. Okay. If you've got yeah, like you say, if you've got uh, one that just scans the receipt and it makes it so much easier and quicker. So yeah. handy to have, handy to have. Yeah, absolutely. Saves the data entry, and it makes sure that you can recover it, you know, in years to come. Yeah, nice, nice one. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that we should think about um, f- from, yeah, from a money side of it? Yeah, yeah. I think um, one of the other common questions is about VAT registration um, yeah. and whether whether clients should uh, register for VAT. Um, and the on, on this is there's there's two aspects. There's the compulsory registration level, um, but then below that there's voluntary registration. So compulsory registration doesn't impact most of our designer clients um, based on the the level of revenue that they generate. So because you have to have revenues of over eighty five thousand pounds to need to register for VAT. So if we put that aside, um, obviously if you do hit that, you, you do need to register. Most of our designer clients are below that level um, and therefore the question would, would then be well sh- even though I don't have to should I register for VAT um, and that's a it, it is a way that you can really make your company or make your business um, more profitable in certain circumstances so we we try and break that question down into into again two aspects looking at the sales side and the purchase side so from the sales side um, the thing you need to look at really is who are you selling to and really what we're asking there is and sorry i got you now sorry (laughs) all right okay sorry um if you're selling to businesses that are themselves vat registered then when you charge them the additional vat because you're vat registered they don't care about that 
you, they pay you extra, that, that 20% extra, but they then get that money back through mm. their VAT return. So it doesn't impact them. The difference, the, the, the problem then would come if your clients tend to be either smaller businesses, probably one person, you know, outfits, um, and you're working with them you know, as a designer and, and, and it's just them and they are not yet VAT registered. In that case, when you charge them an extra 20% on top of your normal fees, they're not going to be able to recover that VAT because they themselves aren't VAT registered. So in those instances, generally would say, well, avoid VAT registration until you have to become VAT registered because right. your clients obviously aren't going to like it. If you're working at the big advertising and marketing agencies and designing for them, well, there's no, there's no problem for them. Yeah. So um, then, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, you go, go. <laughs> Well, then, then the next thing to think about, so that's, that's deciding whether it's a disadvantage to become VAT registered. And we're saying if you work with businesses that are VAT registered, it's not. But then the next question is, well, can it, you know, is it going to help me? Um, and it would help a business that incurs VAT on its costs. Now, some designers, um, yeah, I, I would say probably most designers, their general costs are, as you mentioned, a computer, some software subscriptions and some travel back um, to and from the client, maybe some some food when you're out to see the client or something. Um, and in those instances, there's no VAT on travel. There's no, there's probably no VAT on the software that you're that you're purchasing because most of the software comes from overseas um, and therefore doesn't have UK VAT. Um, and therefore, you're not paying much VAT. You would probably be, so yeah. In those instances, there's not really much benefit then to become a VAT registered. That changes then. Um, we have some designers that do the design, but then also the production of the um, of the materials. Um, I don't know the best way to explain it, but you know, if, yeah, they're, if they're designing or... exactly, yeah. so then then they get a load of stuff printed, and on some of the stuff they get printed, they're paying VAT. Now, if they're not VAT registered, then that cost of paying the VAT is is just going to be a cost to them. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are VAT registered, they can recover that. So that in those instances, or where there are just other costs that the, 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 that you as a business are, are incurring that does have VAT on, in those instances, it does make sense to become VAT registered. Um, you've got a little bit more admin, but as long as what you're paying in, in VAT is relatively significant each month, it means you can recover all of those. So your profit just goes, you know, just goes up, which is great. And, and this might be a basic question, but how do you recover the VAT? How do you get that back? Yeah. So, so first of all, you have to be VAT registered. So an accountant would generally register you for VAT. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of different schemes you can be on, but yeah, generally the standard scheme is, is probably going to be most applicable for, um, for, for companies that are incurring, um, yeah, for, for, for one person designing companies or businesses. Um, and then on a quarterly basis, um, there's a VAT return that's, that's needed to be produced. Um, so that's generally kind of the, 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 the legwork of that is done in most accounting software. Um, so QuickBooks Online or Xero or whatever else, free agent. Um, so the, that's the majority of the legwork. You, you would include what VAT you've paid and then it compiles the VAT return. And then that's then submitted to HMRC every, every quarter. Now, just to, just to clarify on that, you will still find probably in most businesses that you're still paying VAT over to HMRC. You're not receiving VAT back. Um, so yeah, that's a couple of things. So first of all, um, that, that's because obviously you're charging VAT on your sales. So when you're charging your client, instead of a thousand pounds, you're charging them a thousand two hundred, you're effectively just recovering that 200 pounds to pay over to HMRC. Okay. But against yeah. that 200 pounds, 
you're offsetting the VAT that you paid to, to your suppliers for the printing or for your computer or whatever else you paid VAT on. So instead of paying 200 pounds, you'll say, okay, I, paid, I received 200 pounds from my client, but then I incurred costs that had 150 pounds of VAT. Therefore, I'll pay over the difference of 50 pounds to HMRC. So you're still saving the VAT that you would otherwise um, had to, well, you otherwise wouldn't have been able to recover. Got it. Yeah. There is one more. Yeah. Just to go in a little bit more detail on that. Um, there is something else that I, I, I find that most um, businesses that are registering for VAT tend to overlook. And it's a really good way of making your first VAT return quite attractive um, for the business. Um, and that's something called pre-registration VAT. And that's where, let's say you've been operating as a business for a couple of years. Um, you've bought a laptop, but you weren't VAT registered at the time. You bought maybe some other equipment, but you weren't VAT registered. And then you've incurred maybe some accounting fees and some other costs on which you've, you've paid VAT. Now, most businesses think that once they become VAT registered, that's when they have to start charging VAT, which is correct. And that's when they can start recovering their VAT from. Now, that is also correct, but there is also what's called this pre-registration VAT, where you can look back um, over a certain period and recover the VAT that you've incurred before that date of registration. So what that means is, that, so, so for goods, that goes back a period of four years. So if you bought yourself a laptop even you know, three and a half years ago um, as part of your business, you paid some VAT on it. If you then register three and a half years later, you can still recover the VAT that you paid on that, even though it was so long ago, as long as you still own that laptop in the business. That's good. That's handy. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yes, it's, it's often, and especially, uh, I guess, less so with design, but we work with a lot of creatives, um, you know, photographers and videographers, um, and they tend to have huge amounts of expensive equipment. So when you've gone and spent mm. 20,000 pounds on equipment, well, there's going to be, um, about £3,333 of VAT on that. So to recover that on your first VAT return, I mean, you, you effectively just give, get given by HMRC that £3,300, which is obviously fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Very it's nice to be given money by the taxman instead of uh, taking it away from you. <laughs> yeah, I have, to, I have to ask my sister about that. She's, uh, she's got a photography business. So it's uh, uh, okay. thinking about that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Definitely worth considering, yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, last few things I want to ask is about um, sort of planning, uh, financial planning and um, budgeting. Because I always hear about how you should have a budget, you should, you should think about your money and what you're going to spend it on this month. Um, what, does, what does a financial budget include and uh, how, how, how do I structure one? <laughs> yeah yeah so i guess there's um you could look at it from the business perspective and the and the personal um aspect if we look at the business perspective i think i think it's really important to um have an idea of, of what you're wanting to achieve financially i.e what sort of revenue you think you should be incurring and what sort of costs because if you look at it you know if if, if you don't have that then when you look at your you know, your, your accounts, your, your profit and loss statement or whatever you're looking at, it's difficult to see whether what you're looking at is good or bad. It's difficult to know, okay, fine, I've had revenue of, uh, or, or turnover in that particular month of, of £3,000 and then I've got costs of, you know, £750. Are those costs too high? Are they what they should be? Are they too low? It's difficult to really know without thinking, okay, let's just look you know, to the future. What should I be earning in revenue or, or turnover and what should I be incurring in costs? Because then you've got something to compare the actual figures to. 
So then when you see that 750 pounds of cost that you've spent, but your budget says you, you should have only probably spent about 600 um, in your software that you're spending on, your travel that you're spending on, you can then dig into that and say, well, why was it 750 and not 600? And then you can look into that. Okay, it was because I, I spent more on travel because this client, I needed to, to travel there more often. And that gives you then the idea, well, actually, maybe I should be charging this client a little bit more because they require, require more sort of face-to-face time or whatever it is. Um, so it gives you that, that something to compare to that otherwise you look at a, a set of numbers and you don't really know what you're looking at or, or where to start you know, deciding whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that the figures are what they are. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And what sort of stuff do people put on it? Though? Or yeah. Sort of, yeah. I th- I think the, the 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 best way to start a budget for the business is is thinking about what you believe you should be making per day. So um, if you're a designer on a day rate, um, well, you've got your day rate um, and you should probably have an expectation of how many days you hope um, you can be working on a, in a particular month. So multiplying those number of days by your day rate is going to give you your uh, budgeted revenue in that particular month. That's, your, that's for the, the, the sales side of things. Then if you look at your costs, Again, it's really just taking a step back and think, well, what, what do I need to run this business? Okay, I've got my, maybe I've got a, a website, I've got some subs- software subscriptions, um, I'm going to have travel of X amount. Um, and then every now and then I have to buy myself a, a replacement laptop or some other equipment. So fa- building, now, you know, working from that sort of high level, or, or yeah, almost from the bottom up um, and saying, well, what do I actually need to run this business um, and factoring those things? Because then, you know, again, it's just a starting point. It doesn't mean that that is your budget and that will never change because you'll do that budget. And then when you compare that to the actual expenses, you'll say, you'll think, oh, actually, I forgot that particular software subscription that I've had, uh, that I've got. And actually, I do need to keep using that software because it's absolutely crucial to my business. So I'll put that into my budget. So the budget can change, but it just gives you that, that point of comparison. So I would say, yes, yeah, start with um, your day rate multiplied by what you think, how many days you think you're going to be working. Um, and then from the cost side, think about what, what are the costs that you really do need to incur to, to run your business. That's good. And, and uh, one thing we, we struggle with um, as, as a creative uh, community is what, what is our day rate and figuring out our day rate. And um, it's, it's a good way of thinking about it, stepping back and, and thinking about what the expenses are and trying to think about how much, you know, how much that would that you need to cover all those costs uh, and the minimums mm. and uh, yeah, that's something that we're so it's always good around the community. And if you think about it yeah. sensibly, it's actually quite obvious what what um, what you need to cover is, you know, what you should be charging the minimum. I guess in a way, there's there's uh, yeah, there's different philosophies, isn't there? That would be one of the ways to say, well, what are my costs, and therefore, what do I need to cover, and you know, how much do I need to earn as a as a person to pay my rent, etc. But another way would be saying, well, forget about that. What, what am I actually worth? Um, so if I, you know, if, if I believe my design is, is, is particularly good and, and, and I should be charging myself out at, you know, 500 pounds a day, well, then that should be what you charge yourself out at, regardless of whether your costs are, you know, such a small fraction of, of that 500 pounds per day. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, to some extent, I would be saying charge what you think you can, what you think you can get. And I guess there is always an element that people probably have 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 a view that people that charge a higher amount are generally better quality so if you if you do kind of work from a cost basis you're probably going to be on the lower side of the 
the day rates. And people might think, well, no, actually for this particular job, I want someone really good. So I'm going to hire that more expensive person and judge you. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, that's the way it works sometimes because you know, we, we, we like to be judged by our portfolio and sort of what, what work we've done. But that is, yeah. that is a, it's a good factor, actually. Some, some people do do it by the money and how much you're charging. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Great. This has been really, really helpful. Thank you very much for being good. on the podcast. Yeah, um, no problem at all. It's been good. Do you, do you have anything else to add uh, before we ask you the last couple of questions? No, um, I guess what I would say is that if if people are, are struggling with um, with with their finances and accounts, most accountants are more than happy to chat to someone for you know 10, 15 minutes to to give them a little bit of high level advice, um, even without them being a client. Because obviously for us, it's it's a way to kind of get to know that client and and hopefully take them on um, as a client. But you know, if you're looking for a little bit of guidance, a 10, 15 minute call. Most accountants are happy to to have that conversation with you. Um, we certainly are. Um, so yeah, um, I would say get in touch with an accountant if you're a bit stuck. And and I think just generally don't underestimate the complexity of of tax and accounting. If you look at the the the, the tax guides online um, at HMRC, I mean you're talking you know tens of thousands of pages of tax legislation. Now of course not all of that is relevant to to design um, sole traders. Um, but a lot of it is, and so yeah, it's 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 not something I think that um, the certainly the, the limited company side of things that an individual should should try on their own. In the same way as if I wanted to design a logo, I wouldn't get out my pen and paper and try and design one because I'm not an expert. I, I don't know how to design things. Um, it, yeah, it works the other way. I think that yeah, makes total sense. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, people should get an accountant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the conclusion. <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly so the last couple of questions is, is just uh st- stuff that we ask everyone and it, it's just to get to know the guest a bit more um as away from the job or well, you can be in the job as well but um they're a bit deeper questions so the first one is, okay. is what, what <laughs> is uh, what makes you tick like what, what keeps you going and what makes you, makes you want to do what you do yeah um i think it's really the when, when we get feedback from clients of what we the, the, you know what what we gave them really helped or what we told them was was really useful um that's that's really what 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 makes it sort of seem very much more worthwhile um because we work with small businesses so when we when we have an impact of you know a small percent or of a couple of hundred pounds here and there it really does make a genuine difference and we do get feedback that you know the advice really helped them and they didn't get that advice before so yeah it's that sort of thing that makes it makes it all seem you know much more worthwhile nice do you have any life advice (laughs) life advice <laughs> um wow uh <laughs> yeah i don't know um i guess i yeah i would say travel as much as possible um, that's a good one yeah that's it's, been, good it's one. Been, been good for me it's been an eye-opener for me um yeah and if uh, if you can link that with traveling and working at the same time then yeah i mean it seems seems crazy not to in my opinion that's a really good one um yeah, I, I've travelled uh, a couple of countries now. Um, been to Thailand and uh, had that experience of, uh, yeah, of of different, completely different culture. And it, it does it does open you up and make you realise as, as cliche as it is, it does make you realise how lucky yeah. you are to live in the UK or or how fortunate you are just to be you know be alive <laughs> uh, yeah. in some way, uh, some spiritual way. But but yeah, um, the next one is uh, what's your best purchase under a hundred pounds? I know it's, you're in South Africa, so I'm not sure what the equivalent is, but <laughs> yeah. Um... Best purchase under a hundred pounds. 
<laughs> so, so I've got a I've got a ten-month-old um, daughter now, um, and our best purchase by far was so that that makes two kids. So she's she's our second child. Um, is this like a baby carrier that you put on your front? Um, and we had one when when our son was born, but we didn't really use it much. So they didn't that much value from it because we just had one child. With two children, it's the most useful thing I've ever bought in my life because, <laughs> you know, I can I can look after my son and look after my daughter at the same time because she's strapped to your front. So yeah, I think that would be the, the, the best purchase. That's a great, that's a great answer. I like it. Uh, and the last question is, uh, how do you want to be remembered? <sighs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think, uh, how do I want to be remembered? I think it's someone that sort of, um, um, sort of strives for something um takes some risks to get um to get somewhere um rather than you know sort of too risk averse and um and sitting back and doesn't really kind of go after what they're what they're wanting to do um yeah i'd say that i love it that's that's really good this has been a real pleasure thank you very much uh, also can we uh, where, where do people find you on social media and reach out to you and um, get in touch with you and ask you tons of questions about accounting i don't think you've frozen <laughs> I think we're frozen here. I don't know if you can hear me. Um, Hello. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it did. It, it's uh, yeah, it just froze up. Um, yeah, I just got to the outro. That's all. <laughs> so I was just gonna. I, I've lost your video, by the way. <laughs> nice one. All right. Yeah, this has been a. It's been a real pleasure. It's been. It's been great to learn a bit more about it. And um, yeah, where can people find you and, and check out? your social media and ask you loads of questions about accounting yeah sure so um so on linkedin um yeah you can find me by looking at looking for oliver cooper and nimble um so it's n-i-m-b-l-e um and then nimbleaccounting.co.uk is our website um yeah and uh you know if, if anyone's got questions uh, as, as i mentioned before feel free to give us a call and we can talk you through it um even if you're not a client we're more than happy to chat you through the the basics Brilliant. Thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks a lot, Mark.